Would you like to put an end to your suffering today? I have a hunch you do, so listen further. A very special episode today on a Friday evening here in Romania, episode number 62. Welcome everyone to Put an End to Suffering with Vincent Dowd from Speak to Monetize. I am a great fan of this amazing, unbelievable speaker, business owner, someone that I have had the immense privilege to meet live, to see live in September of 2019 in Brussels. Vincent was one of the speakers at a live in-person seminar, something that was very interesting to me because when Vincent began speaking and explaining money and value and business, I began to listen and I began to listen with my heart. Something changed back then, something that I even remember now. What Vincent said about money back then gave me the impression that, yes, I can truly work on myself in the method that he mentioned, because since I'm in Romania, an interesting part of the world with many limiting beliefs about life, money, and me thinking that money would be evil until the age of 25 gave me a lot to ponder on. A few words about Vincent because I could literally, as ecstatic as I am right now, I could talk about him for hours, even more, since I am following his amazing content on TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and everywhere else. Vincent Dowd is a professional speaker, powerful storyteller, international abundance strategist, and yogi. Having sold over $60 million from the platform, Vincent knows how to get results. Vincent has lectured globally since 1996 throughout North America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Vincent works with influencers and thought leaders to help them create and deliver high-energy presentations that create a positive impact. And let me tell you, Vincent, you have created quite an impact in me, so... Welcome. What an amazing privilege to have you here with us today. Thank you, Roxy, so much. It's a pleasure to be asked to be on your show. It's, it's a, you have such great energy, and I highly appreciate uh, your professionalism and bringing me on. So I, I hope to elevate not only you, but your audience and help them to uh, rise higher. That's my ultimate goal. Thank you so much, Vincent. And as you can imagine, me being such a great fan of your work, I have literally a thousand questions. So I thought, okay, what can I ask this amazing human that is taking the time and the energy to come and serve us today? So I thought, since you sent me that amazing photo of you and someone that looks like a yogi, someone that has given you a diploma, can you maybe mm. start by telling us all about your story? How did you begin your path as such an amazing influencer in this world? 
do you want my whole story? Like I'll, I'll shorten it, but do you want me to start kind of the, the whole process or just from the yogi part? <laughs> Anything that you feel like sharing, I'm okay. so happy to hear it. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and I, I was born into a family that was dysfunctional. My dad was an ex-policeman and um, I was born right after uh, their oldest son drowned at six years old. And so I was born about a year and a half into that, but my, my dad took it very uh, hard and then he blamed my mom and he blamed my, at the time it was uh, the younger brother who was my older brother now, but that was uh, the eldest younger brother. He was five and Lanny was six and they were jumping in the swimming pool. They, they kind of snuck out of the backyard and Lanny drowned. But because my dad was in Denver and the family was in Kansas because my dad couldn't pay the bills. So he sent them to live with my mother's um, parents. And so when this happened, it destroyed my family. My dad blamed God. He blamed my mom and he blamed his only son that was left, which was Jeff at five years old. And Jeff felt it from the time he was a kid. So my dad started self-medicating by drinking and they decided to have another baby. And about a year and a half later, I was born into this family, which didn't want to get close. So that's kind of the way I, I, I was born. And at four years old, my dad pulled a gun on my mom and threatened to shoot all of us. So um, I remember the night, a scream. And then within minutes, I was taken to the station wagon and we drove out to a field and we slept in the back seat as my mom kept the car running. Tears coming down her face, I remember. And I didn't know exactly what happened, but the next day she divorced him, kicked him out, and we had no money. She had never worked. She is a domestic engineer back in those days, a housewife. and uh, But she had to go out and get jobs, cleaning houses, bartending, whatever. And I just remember my mom crying all the time that she couldn't pay the bills, she couldn't handle it alone. And you know, I struggled in school, I flunked kindergarten, I was labeled all these things which is dyslexia today, but they didn't call it that back then. And I remember going to her one day and saying, mom, someday I'm going to be rich and take care of you. And I'm sure she laughed because she thinks, well, you flunked kindergarten. I don't think I'll hold my breath for this one. But that was kind of the, the way I was born. And it was challenging, you know, growing up, but I wanted to make money for my mom. So eventually after doing a lot of different things and failing, I found the stock market and I started trading the stock market, got trained on that and turned a little bit of money to a lot of money. And I thought I was a genius. That was back in 95 uh, to about 2000, made a tremendous amount of money. And then 2000 wiped me out about 70% of my account in the dot-com crash. And, it, you know, especially when you've worked so hard to make money and you get it all wiped out, it's, it's really a, a bruise on the ego. And um, I rebuilt again, started getting involved in real estate. And then, um, you know, little did I know, everybody told me real estate's a great investment. It never really goes down. It just plateaus. And I got involved in real estate uh, 2003 through 2006, seven, right before the big crash. And at that point, I lost every single dime. Everything was wiped out. And I couldn't get out of it like the stock market because you can't push a button um, and that was, to me, the worst time in my life. Um, I was broken. Um, I felt miserable like a loser. But that was just my mind. Because little did I know, this was the best thing that ever happened to me. The universe had different plans. And it actually caused me. Uh, I had a neighbor in Orlando, Florida, that lost millions as well. And um, he disappeared for several years. 
he, I heard he got divorced. He quit drinking because he was from Ireland, a very big drinker since he was a teenager. And I was doing yoga when I knew him. And he's like, that's a girl thing. You know, it was funny because he's like, girls do that. I'm like, this is very intense work. And then he actually, uh, I heard somebody said he joined a cult. I'm like, Liam would never join a cult. So I, I actually connected with him and found out he was the CEO of an ashram, uh, which is a yoga institute in the middle of a forest with an 87-year-old guru from India. And he goes, why don't you come here since you have nothing left and live and learn from a master yogi? You can live for free. You just have to work like six hours a day, uh, room and board. And I thought, let's do it. I don't know what else to do. And that was the big turning point on my inner world. And I lived there for a year and learned a lot about yoga and yoga nidra. So that was really the big turning point. Um, so that's a little bit of the story. Any, any questions on that? Wow. Thank you for sharing that. This is intense. I uh -huh. wanted to ask you, Vincent, if you would like to tell us what happened next, because you have grown. I feel that you have grown since that turning point tremendously and exponentially in all ways. What happened next? And I know the story because I listened to it on your YouTube channel. <laughs> However, okay. I'm sure that everyone would love to know more. Well, it was the most profound thing because, you know, my belief growing up and as you're a kid and you talk about fear, Roxy, um, and I had so much fear growing up. Um, my father scared me. You know, he was a tyrant. I had fear because we had no, had no money. And, uh, You know, my mom basically never could pay the bills and we had repossession of furniture. So when I ended up in this ashram, we started studying. Uh, they teach a technique called yoga nidra. Yoga nidra means yogic sleep. And it's like meditation, but you lie down and it's guided. And it's much easier because I was never very good at meditating. I am now because I learned a new technique. But so during this process, what happens is your body falls asleep but you're still awake. So you start to realize, okay, my body's sleeping. I've even heard myself snoring and I'm wondering who's snoring and it's my body snoring. And what happens is you go into the fourth state of consciousness. So just to give you an idea, uh, there's four states of consciousness. The first state we're in right now, it's called the waking state where our mind is very active. We see physicality, duality. The second state of consciousness is dreaming sleep. So that's when we're in, um, you know, a dream state. And, and we, I'm sure you've remembered dreams, haven't you? Yes. And like you might be flying in your dream and it's so normal. Have you ever noticed like when you remember the dream, like it was so normal, like flying around is just something I do. But, but like if we did that here, we'd be a little bit freaked out. So our mind is still active in the second state of consciousness called dreaming sleep. But we're not aware that we have a body in this realm. Right. We have our mind in another body in another realm. The third state is called dreamless sleep. And that's when you're not dreaming, but your body's still there and you're still present. So the continuity between all three states is who we are. And the, the interesting thing is your mind is only in two states and so is your body. The third state, you don't even know you have a body. You don't even know you have a mind, but you're still awareness, your being. So the fourth state of consciousness is called Turiya. Uh, in in, in um, Sanskrit, I believe. But basically, the way I describe it, I try to make things really simple because I'm dyslexic. 
is Turia is the backdrop to all that's happening, right? So think of a canvas. If we have a canvas, like I've, there's a painting in front of me right now, and there's paint all over it, and my attention is drawn to the blue, to the yellow, to the zigzags. That's like life. We're drawn to the physical things that are happening, the movement. We never notice the screen, and the screen is where everything is happening. So at a movie theater, we go in and, and we don't recognize the screen because it's just a screen. But when the movie happens, we get caught up in the story and the movement and the motion and the excitement. But once that movie's over, the screen's still there. And that's really who we are. That presence is who we are at our true essence. But we don't know that. We get caught up in thinking, I'm this body, I'm this age, I'm this thought, I'm this socioeconomic, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm good looking, I'm whatever. And that's where I started to realize everything I believed in was being reshaped. And I saw what happened was so powerful after doing it for about three months. I started to go very deep and I saw my entire life of poverty, like, like a dream, but I'm awake, but my body's not there. And I saw that we had so much poverty and so much pain and fear, and it was all there. And I couldn't find happiness in that because it was as a little boy, it was hard. And it showed me that the reason I was chasing money is because I wanted to be okay and not have all that pain, suffering, and fear. I want to take care of my mom. And, and, and then it showed me the wealth, right? So it showed me making money and millions and, and all this. And it even showed me bigger than I've ever imagined. And it showed me that that is the same as the poverty. They're the same. They're both illusions. And I can never, ever, ever be happy in wealth, even if I create it, if I cannot be happy in poverty. Wow. Because happiness has nothing to do with either one of them. And that's what I've always been searching for is mm -hmm. the happiness, not the money. And, and it showed me that the money will come. It will chase me once I align with the divine really kind of thing. So it's kind of like once I know who I am and operate, it will come. And I want to be interested in it because it's not like needed now, like I understand what happiness is. So that was a big revelation that shifted my internal dimensions to the highest level. Wow, this is this is mind-blowing, Vincent. Thank you for mentioning this. I literally got goosebumps when you said this <laughs> because this is so powerful and yet so simple. I'm very happy that you're making things very relatable so that I can truly grasp it and so is our audience they are going to love this amazing explanation of money mm -hmm. happiness and poverty so mm -hmm. would you say that the first step in ending suffering in ending suffering would be to just get out of our mind and just see the big picture right that we are just consciousness and mm -hmm. that's it. We are truly unlimited, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, and, and I think the hardest part that I've been coming to grips with is the mind is very deceptive. The mind, so the first law of the universe, the seven principles of the Hermetic Code or the Hermetic Principles is the first law is mentalism. Everything's mental. The entire universe is mind. It's always changing. There's never permanency. There's never, it's all transitory, which means we get caught up in believing that we are the body, which is transitory. Your body, Roxy, is a hundred percent different than it was seven years ago. All the cells, all your thoughts, everything about you is different. 
even your personality has changed. I mean, you have core things that, you know, still you, but we, we forget that this whole thing is in flux and we're always trying to grasp and hold on to something. So the mind is very good at, at manipulating and hijacking who we really are. So we get caught in the thought. And, and once we're caught in that thought, that's where our suffering comes in. The guru used to say to me, Vince, the only, there's no problem in the world ever. The only problem is your thinking about it. And about it is not it. About it is the thought. So like when I meditate now, I do this process called self-inquiry, which is the, the most profound thing I've ever experienced. Instead of meditating on breath or mantras or, you know, what I do is I sit and I ask one question and that's who am I? And every thought that comes up, I question it. Who's thinking the thought? Because instead of going outward, you know, like the universe is expanding outward, our thoughts will do the same thing and create a chain reaction. If we contract those thoughts back to who is the thinker, then it's like the, the, uh, like almost a cell phone tower sending out signals. But instead of having the signals go out and creating more and more small signals or other thoughts, it comes back into the antenna. Who's the source of this? And that's where we start to slow the mind down and we start to feel that presence of who we really are, which is abundance and it's being and it's isness and it's everything that we've always thought we already are that. And it's so profound. This is absolutely fascinating, Vincent. This is just mind blowing. This is similar to what you said in Brussels when I first listened to you speaking and it was truly like everyone in the room we were eyes mm -hmm. wide open and listening to you this is unbelievable serving from your part that you do on a regular because your TikTok videos have given me so much more insight on the spirit on happiness on mm -hmm. our true authentic self more than any other books that I've read not saying that any other books aren't amazing and so full of wisdom, but the way that you explain things just makes it so easy to truly understand because we are so caught up in our mind. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, Vincent, since you do a lot of meditation and you are also, as you said earlier, you are also learning how to meditate with sounds around because you are also traveling and having all these fantastic activities. For someone that hasn't yet maybe understood the art of meditation, mm -hmm. what would you say that the first step would be? It's a good question, Roxy. Uh, and, you know, when I started, I went, my first meditate, because, you know, I'm an active mind. Like, if, if you're an entrepreneur out there and you're like me, I, since I was a little boy, actually, I think it shifted. When I was a little boy, I felt very heart focused. You know, I was very different. My grandma told my mom, he's special. Now, my kindergarten teacher said that too, but I think they meant special ed. <laughs> my grandma <laughs> meant uh, he's different. And, and the, she saw something in me because I used to pull the chair out for my grandma as a kid. The other cousins would be playing, not even paying attention. And I was very heart driven, but my dad didn't like that. He was threatened by that and maybe my feminine energy, uh, which, you know, uh, I don't think he liked any of it. He was threatened by it. My whole family was. So I learned to get out of this feeling and move to thinking and that's where all the problems really begin because 
the mind is always deceptive. Uh, it's always changing. And, and of course, it's a magic thing, but it's also a very evil thing because we look at humanity and all of it comes from mind and what we focus on, right? And so we give energy and, and energy follows attention. So whatever we put our focus on, we create more feeding that energy. And all those years, I thought the magic is thinking more ideas, better ideas, more business drive, do more, do more. And, and I was a doer big time. And so my mind is very active. And if you watch a lot of media, your mind gets more active. And then you're really in suffering because you can't slow it down and you're getting whipsawed. So I went to a meditation course by Deepak Chopra called Primordial Sound. And the way he did it was a, a mantra. They would teach you, it's like transcendental meditation if you're familiar with that. And he teaches a sound and I did that for a while. And I had some peace. I had some slowness in my mind, but it never took me very deep and I couldn't stay in it very long because you're focusing on sound, which is external, or you're focusing on breath, which is still external. And so when I found Ramana Maharshi, and he, he talked about every meditation is a meditation on something, but self-inquiry is not meditation because you're asking the question, who am I? That's the ultimate question everybody has to ask before they wake up. And the ultimate answer is, I am. That's it. And so I don't even know what the I am is. So I can tell you in this process, I've learned who I'm not. But I don't know who I am, and I don't think anybody knows, because once you know, you can't say it. There's a great quote, maybe you've heard it. He who knows does not say, and he who says does not know. Wow. And that makes sense to me now through meditation where it didn't before. So I would just say the first step that I did, just to answer that question, sorry, it took a, a while to get there, but... I was so frustrated during COVID that, that I was not peaceful. I was in fear of the lockdowns. I, was, I wasn't in fear of the disease. I was in fear of the propaganda about the, the, the coronavirus. Um, because once I, I'm a researcher, so once I researched everything, I'm like, I'm not afraid of it. I'm afraid of what they're doing around it more than anything else. And, you know, people's jobs are being lost and people are being wiped out on the, the business owners who control most society. The small business owners got hurt bad. And I was fearful that this is going to lead to a lot of problems. And so I, I wanted to meditate and I sat down and, and I learned this process of self-inquiry. And I learned the question, like the reason I couldn't sit still is because my mind would say, come on, you have things to do, get up. So then I would qu question, who is it that has things to do? I do. Okay. I have things to do. Who am I? So I don't care about doing. I don't care about having. I care about being. Who am I? Who is this being that has to do something? Because nothing needs to be done ever. It's all being done without me. And then my legs started hurting. So my body's competing to get me out of this. My ego wants me out of meditation. Because in meditation, your ego will die eventually. And it does not want to die. So it says your leg hurts. You better move and get up. And I used to always do that. I get up. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Instead, I would ask, whose leg hurts? Oh, my leg hurts. Okay, who am I? Uh, I am. Okay, am I the body? And see, I don't know who I am, but I know I'm not the body because I've been away from the body, even in meditation or yoga nidra. So it's not me that hurts. It's the body that hurts. So my leg hurts. That's not me. It's not my pain. It's the body's pain. It's a sensory mechanism. So if the body hurts, who am I? And then all of a sudden the pain would disappear. 
And the interesting thing is I could sit there for one, two, three hours at a time. And so I usually do two hours, three hours a day. And it started and I, you know, time disappears and people go, how can you do it that long? You only need to do 20 minutes, but it's not about that. It's about being with source and you don't want to leave it once you're in bliss. Why would you want to go anywhere else? That's what you're looking for anyway. If that makes sense. It makes all the sense. And I love it how you literally confused the pain in your body. You literally confused your ego with these questions, with the back and forth. This is amazing. Thank you for sharing this. It's yeah, literally fascinating how complex we are. Yet how simple things are. I'm always blown away that you are giving such amazing, concrete examples that we can truly put in practice. And I wanted to ask you, Vincent, has fear taught you anything through the years? How do you see it? And how would you say that would be the best way to deal with this very natural emotion that we all have? It's amazing you're asking that, Roxy, because this has just come up heavy for me recently, fear. So I, I never, like I was a fearful when I was a little kid. And a lot of things we block out as children because, you know, the way I look at it is our mind uh, and our brain are trying to protect us as, as the mechanism that we are. So from zero to seven years old, we're operating in theta and delta brain waves which is the same area as being in a trance. So you'll take in anything like from a hypnotist. If you look at a baby, and I love to look at babies because their eyes are like this big and they just stare into you. There's no mask in their eyes. They don't have a persona. They don't have a personality that's been programmed in by their parents, teachers, church, society, media. And so you're seeing pure consciousness looking at you. And But everything that, that's being told to them they're taking in as if it's 100% true. And they start to realize I am different than you. So we have separation. And the I am, the pure being of I am presence starts to become I am becoming. And it starts to believe that I'm different. I have to do this or I have to be that or I have to have this. And we add on all those crappy thoughts that create this messy ego structure. And you know, and, and it's, it's interesting because there's no, none of those fears are really there. I think there's, they say there's only what one or two fears when you're born that you have like abandonment and falling or something like that. Not correct on those. I don't know, but I was dealing with fear the other night and in my meditation, I had a lot of fear started to come up because as you go deeper into who you are, you're going to release, um, old patterns that have been locked down. So when you're zero to seven, you might have traumas like I did and you, you can't deal with it. So like an, like a, almost like a circuit breaker, the amperage is so intense for a little baby or a little kid that it shuts it down before your mind has to deal with it or your brain and it will lock it away in your body. And that would be a traumatic energy pattern in your body that will cause trauma and disease in the future if you don't deal with it. But it locks it down. And then later on at seven, you start to go into beta wave and different things where you can think and more critically. And you can say, I don't know if I believe this or that, but you've forgotten that what was built into you are all these programs, these viruses, if you will, that uh, we don't even know are operating in the operating system in our subconscious mind. 
our conscious mind is now as an adult moving into other things. Like I want to make money. I want to do this. But behind that, you have an incongruency of patterns and thoughts and trauma that you've forgotten about. Like when my parents said, hey, money is the root of all evil. Well, I'm thinking as a little boy, I want to make money for my mom because she's suffering, but I'll go to hell if I make money. So there's an incongruent belief that I I, I want to make money. And every time I made money, I'd lose it. Why? Because inside of me deeply is, is, is wound these patterns that money's hard to come by. We can't afford it. I heard that every day of my life. We can't afford it. That's too much. Rich people take advantage of people. Money's the root of all evil. And all of a sudden, you, you start to lose your money. You start to blow your life up. And it's these patterns that have been created that cause the issues. So all that fear is, is there. And so this fear that's been coming up as I started to meditate, it freaked me out because I've, I've, I've seen the primal fears of my entire body dying and decaying. I've seen my death. I've seen my teeth rotting. I've seen everything in meditation and it scared me like crazy because, you know, I've done, I've done plant medicines and I've seen things like that, but like I was on ayahuasca or, you know, with shamans, but this was just me with myself. So I, I I didn't know who to call. I called my guru that was, uh, I lived with and he goes, Oh, you're experiencing fear in meditation. I said, yes. What do I do? He goes, that means you're doing it right. He goes, the fear might be many lifetimes worth or even in this lifetime, but it's, it's being unveiled, unveiled so that you can let it go. You're ready to let it go. That's a beautiful thing. So now what's you're feeling, allow it to come. It's not real. It's temporary. It will move through. And eventually like cleaning a house, you're going to get down to the deeper levels of who you really are beyond those patterns of fear. And then you'll have this release. So I'm like, oh. And the, the interesting thing is last night I was researching this and, and Dr. John Martini talked about fear. And there's two reasons we have fear as a biological being, an animal, is we're afraid of running out of food and starving. That's a life thing. We're afraid to die because we, we're going to go hungry. The other one is we're afraid of being the prey of something that's going to eat us. So we're either going to be the food or run out of food. And every fear derives from those, which is really the fear of death. And that made me realize it's a physical thing that we're experiencing because our body and our ego need to survive. That's where fear is. It's a lot. I hope, I hope that wow, wasn't too much. Wow. This is amazing. Honestly, Vincent, this is, I could, I, and I speak for everyone watching and listening that I could listen to you talk about this for days on end because it just makes so much sense. You are speaking the truth and it literally all goes down to the ego not wanting to die, definitely. So yes. I can only imagine how strong and impactful this experience with fear in your meditation was because it literally gave me chills as you were explaining this. So I'm just very honored that you are so open and willing to serve everyone by just being very honest about your experience and then knowing that it's a working progress, it's always something that we need to work on, isn't it, Vincent? Absolutely. Why do you think that we are so impatient to get that success, to get the money, instead of just being present and realizing that happiness needs to happen in the very stage that we are in, in this very moment? What's with this impatience? 
Well, this this goes over too to my teaching for years on the financial markets or on business. And it comes down to the fact that I think our programs are are put into us by uh, society, which a lot of them are very ego driven that are running the world. And so let me I'll give an example of this is um, let me get a pen. the the uh, if we think about the ego, the ego is very much uh, wanting something, always chasing, always wanting to do more to have more as if we can have more will make us more happy because the belief is if I have more of something, I can be happier. Uh, and if I have less, I'll be less happy. And so the consumer mind has been programmed into us since we were children. And, and they've taught us to go out and buy things we don't need with money. We don't have to impress people. We don't like that's kind of the little mantra, right? And, it's a dopamine hit. So the problem is we've, we've learned that happiness is dopamine. And so whether we're TikToking and I'm just as guilty as anybody else, you know, I go buy things, I get excited for a minute. It's like a drug. Uh, whether it's, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be sex, it could be drugs, it could be shopping, it could be watching television or flipping on um, social media. And we are programmed and we're not happy, but we're, ex we're thrilled. And the thrill is temporary. And then we have the, the after effect. It's like drinking and the next day you're hungover, right? And so happiness is our true nature, which is just amazing, but we're so caught up in the veil of thoughts that we do not notice who we are all the time. We don't need any of this stuff. In fact, I think oftentimes it distracts us. Not saying that you shouldn't go make money or you shouldn't have dreams. I'm just saying that there's different laws that rule. So if we're looking at... Um, Physicality, we're looking, we're living in the world of duality, right? So there's an opposite pole of each thing, and it's the same thing. So, like the law of polarity states that if you look at a pole, and, and we could do this as an alchemist, we have the, the, the pole of uh, love, right, at the top. So, if you've ever fallen in love with somebody, and this happens all the time, and they get in a relationship, and the love chemicals hit our brain. And we're in love and everything's amazing. And even if they upset you at work, you're not upset you're in love. And this is happening for so long until then eventually you get married and you start seeing them leave the cap off the toothpaste or their shoes smell. And you start to drop in the excitement. And you might even turn out to be somebody that doesn't like them. So you go from love to like to dislike to hate. It's on the same pole. And so what, what the principle of polarity says, it's the same thing. It's just a different degree. Love and hate are the same thing. It's just a different degree, just like hot and cold. At what point does it become hot and what point does it become cold? You can't say that. It becomes cool, colder. It's just a different degree. But as an alchemist, we can always focus on the other side of the pole, use our will and our energy. If we're in fear, what's the opposite of fear? Courage. It's, it's not love. Real love is not even what we talk about in humanity. Real love is the backdrop of everything. We don't understand real love. We understand um, conditional love and we call it whatever we want to. It's sex. It's what, but it's really conditional. But when we focus on fear, we're going to get all those fears coming up. So when we can sit and say, okay, I'm fearful of what? I'm fearful of losing my job or losing my career or money because the whole world's changing right now. I'm fearful. How do I get that fear to courage. I got to remember a time in my life when I was courageous. 
start to feel what it felt like when I had that courage. What's it feel like for anybody that's courageous? Who do I know that's courageous? And how do I just be that person? Then we start to alchemize our energy up. Now, this only works on a certain pole. I cannot turn fear into gold because they're not even on the same polarity, right? But anything on the same polarity, we can use the alchemy within us to transform, transfigure, and transmute one energy to another in the mental alchemy. And that, that is so critical in the law of polarity. Um, and so on this plane of physicality, we want to make money. We want to ascend and move up. And, you know, there's different dimensions. And there's a whole playground of the mind that we can play in. On the other end of that is where I'm going with the self-inquiry, which is there is no mind. There is no I. There never has been. This is all just an illusion or a reflection of the heart. The heart is reflected in like, like a moon on the water. If the water's still, you see the moon. It's beautiful, but it's not the moon. You're looking at the water. It's a reflection. But when the wind comes and it changes the look of the moon, you think the moon's being disrupted. It never has been touched, but that's like the mind. It's, it's, a, it's a wave or a reflection that our mind is a reflection of the heart, but it's not a very clear reflection. So we get a lot of issues back and forth, polarity, duality, chasing pleasure, running from pain. And so what world do you want to live in depends on where you identify. Do, you, do I identify as a human with thinking? Then you're going to live on multiple planes and play the game of the mind. If you're going to identify as being, not doing, not having, then that's a different place and that's different work, if that makes sense. Wow, this is literally brilliant. It's like, you know, I have this notebook, I'm taking notes, but I'm going to have to listen to the replay. So I advise everyone <laughs> watching and listening, our fearless friends, please do yourself a huge favor and get a pen and a piece of paper and write down this amazing wisdom that you are getting right now. So maybe now my friends can truly understand why I was so impacted by Vincent. Now, here is the real proof. This is amazing and this just makes so much sense, Vincent. When you are on stage and when you communicate to huge masses of people, when you get to sell so much, I know in one of your TikTok videos, I'm closely watching you because there's just mm -hmm. no other way. This, it's, it's just phenomenal what you are saying there. You say that you need to be very congruent with who you are so that it all comes with ease. How are you, or maybe the best question would be, does your ego learn? Did you tame your ego to fluctuate? Or how is your relationship with yourself when mm. you're on stage selling, serving the audience, that you get such great success? What's happening inside of you? Well, it's interesting because I've gone through so many changes. I didn't know what an ego was. You know, when I started speaking back in, when I was 28 years old, um, I was the youngest speaker in this company that they ever hired. I was like 28. Most people were 40 or 45 or over. They had these big Rolexes suits. They were really cocky. Like I was nobody to them. And I thought that was ego. I'm like, I don't have an ego. I, I hang around people with big egos. But again, what I was doing is I was, I, I thought ego meant puffed up. Like, oh, look at me. I got a nice watch or look at me. I got a you know Mercedes or a big house. I thought that's what ego was. I really did. And I don't think a lot of people understand what ego is. And I think that's the problem. And that's why we can be so deceived because everything is ego. 
And what I mean by that, my, one of my mentors, Joel, says, your ego is not your amigo, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, but I thought ego was just like a, a phase you would get into when you want to be better than somebody. Like, and what I realized, and I realized this when I did ayahuasca down in Honduras, uh, which is just a plant medicine that's been used for thousands of years to uh, to awaken you to who you are, so you realize that you're connected to the planet and every every other living being is one. There is no separation, but we still see the duality in it because we're not we're not seeing non-dual. We're seeing duality. But what it did is it showed me my ego is is almost the mind. So the way Ramana says it, I think, is the clearest is. The, the, the original thought, if you can imagine, it's hard to do because our mind is finite and the finite mind can never contain the infinite. So when I try to explain, it will never work. I can't tell you, but I can give you kind of ideas, which are still not the way, but everybody can experience themselves when they actually sit long enough with themselves and ask the question. But the way I, I try to explain it is the original out of the infinite of nothingness, no characteristics, which is the source that, that that's who we are, uh, came this reflection or this thought. So the very first thought is called the first ignorance called I am. So I creates duality because if there's an I, there's a you, right? It's like if there's a one, there's a zero and there's also two, three, four. So it starts to create the chain reaction of think thinking. So I am is pure and simple being. I am always, every human being awakes every day, no matter where they're in the world and starts their day with I am. That is the same God in you that's in me. Whether you want to call it God or source or whatever name you want to, you can call it whatever you want. But that I am then starts to create a world. Oh, I am tired today. Oh, you are. That's not true. What's true is your body is tired. That's not you. But so now you're believing you're the body. Now you're creating tired Oh, and I also am struggling to pay these bills. So all of a sudden you get these thoughts that start to create physicality in the dimensional space of the universe, right? And we've gone from being to now thinking, believing, doing, having, all of which are transitory. None of those last, which means that's not real. What's real is forever, which is I am. And I'm not even saying that's real because when you question it, you might find out that's not even there either. And the mind can't deal with that. The ego, so what Ramana says, and I, I think this is so true, once you have a thought, I am, the ego was born. And everything from that point on is ego. When you don't have ego, there is no thought. And source can live through the body without thinking, and then you're in bliss all the time and you see oneness. I'm not there. But that is the concept that apparently when you awaken, you get to from like Sri Nisargadatta or Ramana Maharshi, who, uh, many saints who have lived, whether it's Jesus or Buddha or whoever, it's just the way they understand that I am not the body or mind. I am, period. Wow. I'm just thinking as you were explaining this amazing wisdom that just yesterday I was listening to um, that amazing, the first Westerner, the first American that became... Uh, a Buddha monk, Geshe uh, Michael, Michael Geshe, and he okay. was talking about um, 
the vacuum that we are the only ones that give meaning to everything around us. Nothing has any meaning whatsoever, even a pen. A pen is a writing tool to us, but it's a chew toy to a dog. And you know, Rox, once you you say that, like once you label something, you negate it, right? Once I call it a pen, you never see anything else again. You just see a pen. And so this could become a screwdriver. This could become something that holds something up. So when you tell a child that that's a bird, they never see anything again. They just see a bird. They don't see all the potential that it could be because we've defined it. We negate it. So when people call us a name, whatever, human, that's all I am now. I'm not the being, I'm not the whatever else could be that I could be or you could be. So to label is to negate and that is so powerful, but that's what our mind does. This is the first time that I have ever heard this concept. This is just, wow, fascinating. Mm -hmm. We do negate everything. It's like we get so conditioned by our mind. Now I truly understand what you said a few minutes ago. Thank you for this. Wow. Well, thank you for bringing that up because that was really a great reminder to me that this isn't just a marker. This is a billion things. I, I and we, you know, your, your magic comes when you start to see it for what it's not and everything it can be. And now I can see why just you're not into politics when people are so caught up into supporting something that they label, that something that keeps them very stuck, very limited. They think that's the only truth. So now now I see things, okay, thank God it's the weekend because I'm going to have such a good time to just process our talk because this is just literally, it is life-changing to me. Well, let me say something on politics because the inter- I've been sucked into that just like everybody else. And You know, this is something I've been dealing with because between meditation and the mind and the algorithms that they have, that they've actually created now, AI is actually creating algorithms where they know us better than we know ourselves. So they can hook our mind and addict us, hit the dopamine level. And that's what they're doing. And so what's happening in the world, because I've taught finance for 30 years, um, is a radical shift on the planet is happening on the economic level, which a lot of people are not prepared for, called the Great Reset, called the, it's called, it's really, Ray Dalio, one of the top fund managers, calls it the end of a hundred year debt cycle. And they happen every hundred years and they're very tragic for humanity, but there's also a renaissance that happens after if you get through it, but it's a lot of challenges. And, you know, this is still happening because we're identified as the body mind and we're going to experience this because If you look at karma, it's just a physical chain reaction of our choices. And you can't stop what's happening because karma has to fulfill itself. So like Ramana says, the best thing for you to do is sit still and be quiet and accept your karma because you can't stop it. Now, there is one way to stop it, and that's waking up. When you realize who you are, that there is no I, there is no body, there is no mind, then what happens is there's no karma either. But we're wow. not, it takes a while to figure out that that's not who we are. Wow. So we're probably going to ex- still experience it, right? And there's fear that comes up with that. The, the fear coming up with that is I know they're starting this new currency. They're going to try to, the, we're bankrupt. You know, the world's bankrupt and they're going to implement a new system, which unfortunately a lot of people that are behind it are not awakened and they want control. So I get caught in that too as my mind, my body, my 50 some years of, of being on the earth and, and, and studying this. And it still hits my dopamine 
and I still get caught up in that. But I'm, I'm working to continue my meditation so it doesn't phase me like it has, right? I want to just be non or neutral and not get caught up on one side or the other, you know, but it, there's a part of me that's still like, well, I'm an American. I got to do this and that, or I'm a whatever. The identification with my, my country, my, my political affiliation or my, my wealth level or what, and we still do it. So I'm trying to say, okay, I'm not any of that. Hang on. Let's just back up. So if my mind slowed down, I can do it. But if I'm not eating right, if I'm not sleeping, I get easily agitated and I get into that mess too. Wow, you know, I love that what you said just now. Everything is just related. How you do one thing, you do them all. Obviously, mm -hmm. if we don't eat properly, it's kind of difficult to go into that very deep transcendental meditation. So yes. we need to be really mindful of... We have like so many options now, Vincent, that you go in the shop, you go to a supermarket, you have 5,000 types of corns and uh, carbs and I know that you did recently an experiment for Thanksgiving yes. when you had the carbs and sugar and you felt like things were oh, off horrible. so yeah. Yeah, I was very grateful that you're doing stories like that as well when you just test something and let everyone know how it feels because we just need to be mindful every single moment well, I you know, Roxy sorry to interrupt you but what's interesting on that is when I was at the ashram You know, they do a very vegetarian diet because they believe in ahisma, which is nonviolence. And, you know, they don't believe in eating meat because what's in the meat, a lot of times the way we, these animals are treated has a lot of cortisol, a lot of uh, adrenaline, a lot of anger and, and abuse. And that energetically transfers into us. So, you know, I was eating uh, this uh, vegetarian, vegan type diet and felt pretty good. I, I don't think it was hitting everything because I still didn't feel great. And then when I... A friend of mine who does some, she's like a shaman. She told me I should try the carnivore diet. And I'm like, well, that's, I haven't eaten meat in a long time. But she is telling me how it cures a lot of autoimmune diseases, the microbiome. It gets rid of candida, people's skin changes. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it. Okay. Um, and I'm not a fan of the way society kills animals or even doesn't even appreciate. Because the Indians used to look at a buffalo. Or I should say the Native Americans because I guess... You know, that's the program we have Indians from India. The Native Americans used to look at a buffalo and they would honor it and love and give thanks before they killed it. And they would see eye to eye and they understood it's the cycle of life. We don't do that. We just think everything's separate than us and we can kill it and make a coat and do whatever. Um, so I'm trying to be very thankful when I eat, but I have felt a lot better. I know long term it's not a sustainable or healthy way to go. And, and the thing is, though, when I... I've seen everything alive. So it's kind of like, well, everything is alive. Everything is God. And if you go deep into this in non-duality, everything is eating itself and having sex with itself. That's what the universe is. It's, it's, it's the law of gender. And, and, and we don't see it that way because we get caught up in our meaning like you talked about earlier. This is bad. That's good. And there's no such thing as any of that. It's just God moving through physicality and experiencing itself through physical. Um, but it's, it's hard to ascertain how all this works. And that's why the mind gets so confused and so forth. But the, the diet, um, I'll probably switch back to a sattvic diet, which is, uh, you know, more plants and, and legumes and things so that you have a higher resonance with source when you meditate. 
Thank you for saying this. I actually wanted to ask you what is your relationship with food going to look like in the future? So it's mainly more plants and to be less into carnivore eating or anything like that. Yeah, it's really hard, you know, because I know even when Tony Robbins went to do the plant-based, he started having problems. So he had to bring fish back in um, to his diet. And I think it's really hard for humans to figure out what the right mixes because are we carnivores are we herbivores we have you know there's a lot of studies that show both sides and science contradicts and um i don't know the answer on this but um i'm just looking for me what do i feel best in how do i feel the best so that i can also meditate the best and i don't want to kill things but i know everything's alive um and Uh, I think it's just honoring whatever it is and knowing that it's God that I'm eating, you know, and someday I'm going to be eaten by who knows what, (laughs) and it's God that's eating me. And it's the cycle of life, you know, and, and we're so afraid of it. Um, But I think it's the way we do it humanely. Uh, And, and again, you know, there's a population issue and there's all kinds, it's just all mind. And, And that's why I'm like, I just want to be more in the I am versus the noise of the playground of the mind, which can go forever. The way I looked at it, Roxy, is I saw the infinite loop. And once you think a thought, it creates other thoughts and other problems. And once you solve a problem, it creates other problems. So it's an infinite loop of us moving through, because uh, whatever you think you create, because we're manifestors, but it's all the playground of the mind. So you can have anything. You can be rich, you can be kings, you can own this and that. But really, at some point we wake up to Is that what I want? Do I want to keep going through a birth and death cycle and having and running from this and trying to get that so I can get happiness? It's suffering. And I'm like, I don't want suffering. I just want to be in bliss, which I've experienced a small degree. And we can all have that when we wake up. But that's the journey, I think, is to wake up. Wow. Beautifully said, Vincent. You've mainly given me such amazing, life-changing thoughts now because I have been testing with food a lot as well. I've been a vegetarian. Then I had a great urge to literally eat so much meat that I would eat meat without... I mean, I lost control. I didn't gain weight, but I felt that I was indeed... I was very anxious The more Mm -hmm. meat I ate, my body would want even more meat, but I would be very anxious. What a cycle. And it's so relieving to know that just, okay, test things out, but put gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's God that you're eating. I love it. And you've mentioned these amazing laws of the universe. My God, you know, I'm going to have to re-listen to this amazing talk because I just want to write everything down. I advise that our friends watching us and listening to us get in touch with Vincent. At least have a talk with him because as you have seen and heard so far, his work is literally more than transformational. It's transcendental to such great extents that I'm literally right now, I'm feeling transformed and I feel such a relief, Vincent from knowing that there's literally nothing out there, it's nothing here, then it's it's just nothing. It's nothing. I just wanted to say, you know, my mind got to think, um, got to thinking now that, okay, I'm still the body, but, but 
many thoughts I can literally decide but then it's still the ego it's me deciding to not go into it all but maybe just have a moment to as you did before our talk breathe and understand mm -hmm. that there's nothing out there so Vincent can you please tell us all about your amazing work your businesses where can everyone can get in touch with you and work with you Sure. I'm, I'm still working on many things, but I have some books out. Uh, my website, I have a, a gentleman going to be rebuilding it because I'm looking, like I said, at moving more deeper into the inner work. Um, just so, so everybody knows, I've, you know, for 30 years, uh, I taught, uh, started off in the stock market and options trading. That was my life for a long time. And, and then once I had my more awakening experience, it doesn't interest me as much. I still teach that. But it's not my passion because I realize it's temporary and transitory. And people think, well, if I have the car, everything's going to be good or the house. And I've, I've already had all that. And I realize that doesn't resolve anything. So um, that's still out there. But, but the thing is, like, I, I started working with people on learning how to speak, learning how to speak to monetize, like you mentioned earlier. I do have the website Speak, the number two, Monetize, uh, which has a free tool on, on storytelling there you can download. Also, I have my book out called Multiply Your Money Speaking, which you can get. What site is that on? I believe that's on um, vincentdowd.com. Let me double check that, by the way. <laughs> I believe I put that on there. And I do have a trading book, which, I, again, if you want to trade, it's, it's just disruptive. Sorry, no, it's uh, sereneinvestor.com for trading the stock market, if that's of interest. But that's, again, those are just some ways. But my main site is AuthenticElevation.com. That's a lot of stuff. But Authentic Elevation is my main site. It's going to be redone. So, But you can reach me there. And there's a book there also called Unleash the Possibilities Within, which you can get for free. All my books are free. All right. So uh, whatever you go to, you can download it for free. And then you can reach out to me at Vince of AuthenticElevation.com um, if you would like to find out more about what I do in coaching or group programs or anything like that. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I hope that gives some insight. I have a lot of stuff and I got to <laughs> bring it down to a little simpler process. I think your work is truly fascinating, transformative, and what a bliss and what a gift to this world. So thank you so much, Vincent. Thank People you so can much get in touch with you at the description of this video of the spotify uh, audio they can truly get a hold of your amazing work and i would literally add your tiktok account as well but only if yes. you want to we can talk about this later on because that is transformative to say the least thank you for serving us today vincent yes. a great thank honor you Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it so much. It was a great conversation and I appreciate that so deeply. Thank you so much, Vincent. Thank you.